Hello, hello. What's up? What's good? Hey, up. Bonjour. Ni hao. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intelligent, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Brilliant, brilliant show for today with an amazing guest, former pro soccer player and current professional soccer coach, Omid Namazi, is our guest. Amit grew up in Tehran, but attended West Virginia University, where he excelled on the men's soccer team. Following his, his collegiate career, he played for many years professionally in the American Soccer League, the American Professional Soccer League, and MLS. In 1999, while as an injured player, he served as the interim head coach, not knowing that this would be the first of many coaching roles that he would have throughout his career on the pitch. He has managed professionally in several countries, was an assistant on the United States women's team in 2014, an assistant with the United States under-20 and under-18 and most recently, as an assistant for the Houston Dynamo in the MLS. On today's episode, Omid chats with us about his, his time growing up in Tehran and how a family member that he looked up to helped motivate him on the pitch. Omid chats about his time at West Virginia. And finally, he reflects on that first coaching experience and, and how it took him by surprise, but really laid the foundation for a second extremely successful act in his life. Really, really enjoyed my conversation with Omid. Uh, he's got he has such a wealth of knowledge. He's got so many great stories. And it was easily one of my favorite conversations of the year. Thrilled for you guys to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on assistant coach of the Houston Dynamo and former professional soccer athlete, Omid Namazi. And let's learn. How did you handle this unusual year, especially in your daily life as a coach? It wasn't easy. Um, you know, it took it took a lot of patience. Um because it was a lot of stop start kind of kind of <clears throat> work that we did uh, obviously when it first hit uh, one day we were at training and they walked in and said hey we got to basically disperse and we can't try we can't train until further notice so that was a shock and then um, you know we try to keep the the uh, the group engaged doing some zoom calls doing some uh, team bonding stuff on on video conferencing, and then they told us that we could come in and do individual workouts. Um, and you know, when you're a team, individual workouts don't mean a lot. Mm. But uh, we try to do the best we could, so we brought players in uh, one at a time and trained them for about forty five minutes to an hour. Um, the field was divided in four quadrants, and we have three practice fields. Okay. So we were able to get 12 players in at the same time. They were socially distanced, you know, each train in their quadrant. And uh, we did it for two straight hours each day. We got through 24 players. Um, so, again, it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, and then at some point we were able to get to small groups. Like we went from individual to groups of five or six, mm -hmm. uh, which – got a little bit better at least they could interact with each other a little bit they could pass the ball to each other and then it you know obviously towards the end with a lot of testing in between to make sure that everybody's okay we were able to get to full training and it created a bubble down in Orlando for the whole league and we were able to compete with other teams so it took a lot of patience but you know uh, it was something that had to be done and you know, thankfully within our group, I can say we're very proud that nobody, nobody came down with the virus. And that was because everybody was so 
uh, cognizant of where they need to be, where they don't need to be yeah. uh, in crowds and so forth. So uh, it was good. It was, it actually made our group a lot closer. Awesome. That's great to hear. Not only closer, but with all the innovations and the different ways you had to go about doing it, how do you think you evolved and became a better coach because of it? Well, uh, for one thing, you know, you go throughout the season at times and you don't get to know their, your players personally on a personal level. You talk to them about soccer, but you don't know what's going on at home. You don't know what their backgrounds are a lot of times. Uh, this gave us an opportunity to actually do some exercises where each player would come in front of the group and talk about their background, where they grew up, where, you know, they were born, uh, the, the life they, they came through. Um, so in that way, we got a lot closer to the players and more personal. Yeah. And I, I think that that helps. Now, going forward, I think I will make this a part of my uh, everyday, cool. you know, coaching and getting to know the players more and making it more of a personal connection rather just th than just a player coach. Yeah. So it, it, it helped a lot. Well, I'll use that tactic right now to talk about where you grew up, which was Tehran. What are your fondest memories of growing up in Iran? Fondest memories, I would say, in my teenage years where um, – so I had an uncle who was an excellent soccer player, football player, um, and I was in awe of his skills and, you know, he was, he was really – like in the neighborhoods and over there you play on the streets, you play in the neighborhoods, you play against each other, each neighborhood against another neighborhood. So he was a legend in that way. And I was in awe of his skill and the aura that he had. So I was like 11, 12 years old, 13 years old. I was, I would follow my uncle around to his games and just watch. And then I started playing myself on the street and then into organized soccer. So you know, going through those those times and that period and following my uncle and, and you know, really um, being in the community and, and playing with the other kids, some of my best memories, uh, playing on the streets. And it was all about bragging rights. There was no trophies, nothing like that. It was about, you know, this neighborhood beating the other one and bragging rights for a while. And then you get beat and the next time you, you try harder – it's very competitive, mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy I enjoy a competitive environment. So um, it was it, it, a lot of fun in those in those years. You relocate to the United States, and for college, you choose West Virginia, and you're in Morgantown, a great yeah. great college city. What are the first thoughts that come to mind when you think back to living in Morgantown? Uh, it was different. So when I first got here uh, after I graduated high school, so I, November of 83, I came to United, back to the United States. And I remember I um, had arranged to visit West Virginia uh, mm -hmm. through their soccer coach. So I took a Greyhound bus from Washington, D.C., where I was staying with friends and family, and took a Greyhound bus to West Virginia and, you know, riding through those hills and getting up to Morgantown. It was, you know, quite, quite a scene. And, and then I get to Morgantown and meet the coach. And then he tells me, you got to come to training the next day. So he wanted to see me train with the players. And 
I was at an advanced level, uh, already have made, had made the, um, the youth national teams in Iran. So I went and trained and I was, I guess I was so impressive that I was offered a full ride right away, uh, mm-hmm. throughout, throughout my four years in, in West Virginia. But then, you know, once I started school there, uh, just getting to know people, uh, at the school, but also people outside of school, West Virginia is, is a different state, you know, yeah. as you know, it, um, different people. Uh, I don't want to, you know, sort of, uh, discriminate towards people, those people, but there are people that are very happy living in their state. They've never been outside. So mm-hmm. for somebody coming from Iran and, you know, darker skin, yeah, yeah. I was interesting to them. And there was a lot of questions. There was, you know, and, and I, I loved answering them. You know, they wanted to know about my culture. They wanted to know about my parents and how they grew up. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at West Virginia. Um, I wish we had a better soccer team. Uh, the team in those years was not, not so good. But uh, it's a great town. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a school town. Um, and people there live for West Virginia football. I don't know if you follow the football scene there. But, you know, on the weekends during the football season, 70,000 people at the stadium, uh, Mountaineers. And it was, it was, it was a great time. Uh, mm. and, and the school, too. It's a good school. I would recommend. I, I would want my own kids to go to that school. Lovely story. Lovely story. Your, your coaching career actually began, this is such a unique story, while you were on a professional team as a player and then yeah. as an injured player, they're like, hey, quit sitting around being injured. Why don't you come coach? If I would have told you then that, hey, guess what? You'll still be coaching 20 years later. What would have been your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, coaching was always something in my mind. Uh, my dad was, um, was a coach. Um, he never really coached at, you know, at a professional level, but my dad was a professor at, at the university, but he had also played on the basketball and national and volleyball national teams of Iran. And I remember uh, I used to travel with my dad to the university games in Iran and even the coaches of the volleyball or basketball teams during timeouts, they would come up to my dad and ask him for suggestions mm-hmm. And he was not the coach. He was, he was a physical education doctor. So a lot of these coaches were his students. But th- because they knew he had played on the national team at such a high level, they'd come and ask him for suggestions. So in a way, he was a coach's coach. Yeah. Um, he was a coach that other coaches looked up to. So um, I grew up in that environment. My dad uh, taught me how to play basketball, taught me how to play volleyball. I played tennis, I swam, I played ping pong, I played soccer. You know, soccer was my uncle mostly. But um, um, so it, it, uh, coaching was always something I, – I didn't think about it that I was going to be a professional coach, but it was something like I, when I played, whenever I played, I remember even when I played in high school, I remember directing other people. Mm-hmm. And – when I started playing professionally because of that mentality and because of the way I uh, sort of behaved on the field, I was always looked at uh, uh, as a captain or as, as a 
coach's right-hand man on the field. So when I got injured at, in Philadelphia, um, I was already the team captain. And 11 games left into the season, they management or, or ownership of the, of the uh, team decided that they were going to fire the coach. And because there was only 11 games left and a lot of uncertainties, uncertainties after, the, after the season, they just came to me and said, hey, listen, you know, you're not playing. You know, a lot of guys on the, on the team, they respect you as a captain. Uh, why don't you just take the team for the next 11 games? At that point, I never thought it was a long-term thing because I wasn't done playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still wanted to play. So I said, okay, and I took the team, and the team went eight and three, a team that was struggling, you know, to get wins. We went eight and three at, uh, in the last 11. So um, after the season, I started, you know, I, obviously I was rehabbing this whole time and, then in the off season, I um, I started getting better and getting back into playing. But then ownership came to me and said, "Look, you know, we like what you did. We feel like you have the capability of be being a player coach, even if you wanted to play." They they suggested that I sort of wane down my my playing career, but you know, uh, and and may be a full time coach. But again, I, I wasn't done playing. I think. Uh, Throughout those times uh, and those two years prior to prior to be, becoming injured, I was an all-star in the league. Um, so I continued playing and coaching at the same time. So player coach for a few years. And then we ended up winning the championship with me as a player coach. I also won defender of the year as a player coach. So I was able to – and I, I don't I, – I, I couldn't tell you or explain – how I did it because it's not an easy job, but I was able to be a role model. Uh, if I demanded something of the players, m most sh surely I had to do it on the field because otherwise I would lose respect of the players. Yeah. So my game also elevated because of that. Um, and that's an interesting point because up until then I was a good player. But then once I became a player coach, I had to be on my toes all the time and yeah. make sure that I practice what I preach to the players so much that it elevated my game and I became that much of a better player. So that's how my coaching started. Um, and then, uh, you know, after a few years, because of the success that came with it, I stuck with coaching. And then, you know, once I retired, I've been a full-time coach since then. It's amazing. And I love how you said your game elevated too because you had to as, as a player coach. What have you learned that you know now that you wish you had known when you first started coaching? Um, this, this relationship with the players. I was always this guy where – and I was those guys' teammates yeah. when I started coaching. But then when I started coaching, I – I think I sort of separated myself altogether from those players uh, because I felt that there needs to be that distance between the coach and the player. I still do, but I think you can still show that you care uh, yeah. on a personal level with the players. And the more you show that, I think the more you can connect with the player, you can get the best out of them, uh, knowing what their problems may be at home. 
So I, I would think that player-coach relationship, I would, I would uh, you know, I try to do it now. And I would, if I go, went back to those days, I would start by, you know, engaging them in conversations a lot more than I used to. Love that. Coaching yeah. has taken you to several different countries. How has each of those countries helped shape who you are, not only as a coach, but also just as a human? Well, you, you, you come across different cultures. Uh, you come across different ways that people behave. You know, uh, I, I coached in, in, in Denmark, for example, my last stop uh, abroad. And they were very uh, German-like, you know, very to the point, very precise. Um, they needed a, you know, a set schedule. I remember I, I always like to give a monthly schedule to the players because I don't want players to plan too far ahead. I want them to think about one month at a time and then I give them, give them the next month. But uh, in Denmark, I found out that, like, for example, the last coach had given them a plan for the whole year. Mm. Um, they're very regimented. And, uh, and so each, each stop um, gave me a little bit of something where I feel like helped me. You know, and I think giving players a 12-month plan is good as long as they understand that that plan is flexible. Because, as you know, one day it could pour down rain and you can't train. So you need to adjust. If you adjust one day, that adjusts, that has to adjust your whole week. So as long as that was understood, that was fine. So uh, again, knowing, getting to know the people, you know, abroad and from different countries and how they behave, how their, how their psyche is, how they think uh, just makes you, you know, makes you a, a more well-rounded person and a, and, a, and a coach because you can pick little things that can, that you think were good about that culture and make it sort of your, you know, part of your culture. Yeah. And, and I, and I think I tried to, at least I, I, I tried to uh, get a little bit here and a little bit there and make it, make it my own thing. You've had a tremendously successful career, both as a player and coach on the pitch. As you reflect back on all your years, what makes you the most proud? Oh boy. Um, the most proud, I guess, you know, you win championships and I've won a couple championships, uh, and they make you really proud. But what makes me proud the most is what my peers say about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's my players or other coaches, um, it, it just gives you that feeling that, um, quite frankly, you know what you're doing. Uh, otherwise, you know, a player, players usually, you know, they, they go through so many coaches, you know, every coach has their own way. Nobody really sticks out. But if a player comes out and says, Hey, I learned a lot from this guy mm -hmm. or another coach says, Hey, I knew whenever I played this guy's team, we would have a hell of a time. It would be a tough time. Those things really make you proud and make you feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. You've been around a lot of great athletes, national teams, professional, college. Which are the best players you've ever shared a pitch with in person, either on your team as a player, as a coach, or the opposing team? Players that you shared a pitch with, which are the ones that stand out? As a player, I would say prior to the 1994 World Cup, I was playing for a team out in L.A. called L.A. Salsa. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the 95, 94 World Cup was held in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So all these international teams would come like three weeks before the World Cup to the U.S., set up camp, and uh, start training in different cities where they were going to play their preliminary games. So Romania was one of the teams that was uh, based and camped out in, in L.A. So they uh, asked our team, which is the, the L.A. Salsa, for a scrimmage for a friendly match so they can get prepared. And we played that game. I don't know if you recall the, the player, Georgia Haji mm-hmm. from Romania. Uh, one of the greats of all time. I had watched him play, and um, but I, I had never obviously shared a pitch with him or, or played against him. So that day I came up against him. And yeah. um, he exceeded the expectations I had. Tremendous player, unbelievable gifted athlete, thinker out there. I mean, you name it. He was, a, he was what they call the um, – the, the European Maradona. I mean, mm. he played like Maradona, left-footed player. He had all the skills to beat you on the dribble. He could find that final pass. There was nothing he could do. And we actually had one guy who was a tough, tough guy. Dan, Dan, I remember his name, Danny Pena, who um, we would put on the, on the opponent's best player always. And, you know, this guy was like – he was like a bulldog. So mm. he was chasing – Haji all day, and he, he couldn't even come close. So mm. <laughs> I, I hate to get it, give it to Danny, but um, <laughs> Danny didn't have a good day that day. <laughs> <laughs> what are you uh, looking for for the new year? What are your personal, professional goals, and what do you want to see out of 2021? Uh, one, with my current uh, role as an assistant with the Houston Dynamo, I, I, we, had a, we had a tough, day, tough year. Um, we inherited a team that was already here. Uh, we didn't have a lot to say about who's going to be here and who's not this past season. And um, the team, although had a little bit of success in years past, but hadn't made the playoffs in a few years, um, we came in and we tried to change the, the, the playing style. Uh, but we didn't have the, the, the tools to play the style that we wanted to tab ramos is the head coach i'm the assistant coach so what i'm looking forward to next year and this season coming up is we're uh, in the mix of making some changes bringing players in that we feel suit our style of play um and i'm looking forward to getting those players in and being able to establish our style of play and and have some success i mean uh to be quite frank uh, there hasn't been too many years or too many stops in my coaching where I haven't been able to get to that successful level. And I'm hoping the same happens in Houston. And if we are successful here, it's going to be good for everyone. You know, whether Tab, you know, gets an extension uh, of his contract here and I stay with him or Tab gets an extension. And because we've done well, I get offered a head coaching job in the MLS those are some of the things you look forward to and you, you hope that that happens in the future. Well, I'll be, I'll be watching you and looking forward to the journey and, and supporting you every step of the way. It's been a, a weird year without fans supporting sure. with that. And once we get fans back into the stadiums outside of Houston, which were the ones that were the rowdiest, the loudest, the ones that you're actually looking forward to getting back in front of? Yeah, uh, obviously the, the the crowds in the MLS, you know, that you're well known in Portland. They're loud. They they pack the place up. 
they have the tradition of uh, of uh, of the guy who who's doing yeah. the um, the what do you call it the chainsaw with the yeah. with the tree and cutting down the tree. So uh, that that one, Seattle always obviously has big crowds and they're loud. Uh, the, the one that I didn't, didn't, didn't experiment and I like to see it is Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta packs the stadium, 70,000 people. Mm. And I hear it's a great atmosphere. So I'm looking forward to, to that. And then the other one is my, my own home, sort of hometown, you know, my, uh, uh, what became my hometown is Philadelphia. And mm. I, 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 this year I didn't get to go back there. Uh, I was hoping to, have a game there and have my kids come out and watch the game, but it didn't happen. So hopefully this next year it happens. Does that make you in American football? Does it make you an Eagles fan? <laughs> no. Oh, darn, too bad. Too bad. Too bad. Cause, go, Cause I'm an Eagles I fan. Go there. I, I'm, I, I'm a Philly guy, but I don't like Philly sports teams. <laughs> not, not that I don't like them. <laughs> I actually enjoy Eagles are ve- always very competitive. Yeah. Sixers have always been competitive. The Flyers, the, the Phillies, they're all good teams. It's just, I don't know for what reason. I mean, I guess they're, that's my second home. So I, I call I, my original home is Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, but I, I don't like Washington, D.C. area uh, <laughs> teams also. My, my, my football team is America's team. Now you guess what that oh, is. Oh, no. <laughs> and especially as a guy from Philly, you rooted for the UK. You can't. I did. And you know what's you know what's funny is my 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 younger son is like me. He's a Cowboys fan. Yeah. And the rest of the family can't stand them. Uh-huh. <laughs> the worst team Just in like all the professional sport. They are the worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, with my ex-wife and her family, we always had those heated heated exchanges. You know, when it came to the Eagles, Cowboys. Well, at least we have this in common. We both hate the New York Giants. So that works. So, hey. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, I, I got one last question. This has been awesome. This has been so much fun. What would be the food recommendation you have for someone visiting Iran for the first time? Well, the one, uh, the one food, even Iranians, like every Friday, they go to a restaurant or on special occasions, they go to a restaurant to eat is a dish called cello kebab. Mm-hmm. Uh, kebab, you know what that is. But cello is a rice which um, they put a little saffron in it. Uh, it's got it's a good flavor. And the beef, the way it's, it's prepared, it's really good. I would say cello kebab, but there's a lot of good dishes in, in, in Persian food. And um, when you're ready to go, I'll give you a list. Oh. But if you wanted one, cello kebab is the one. I will definitely stay in touch with you for that. Persian food is my favorite. I was in Egypt two weeks ago. Anything over there, I love eating all of it. So it was, it was fantastic. I was Egypt. I've never traveled there. Uh, I was a little disappointed. It's, really? um, the infrastructure is extremely poor. Um, yeah. It was an adventure just driving on the freeway. The freeway would be what normal, like American freeway of four lanes, but there's six lanes of cars going on it because there's no lines on the road. No uh, a lot uh, of the- you, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll experiment that in Iran as well. A little bit of chaos, uh, infrastructure, not great. Um, I, I've heard about Egypt, and I don't think Iran is as bad. Uh, there's some sort of normalcy and some laws, but um, it's third world countries, that part of the world, uh, very similar. Yeah. So, but the food in Iran is excellent. Awesome. <laughs> I can, I'm, I'm hoping to go there. I'm hoping to go there to go skiing because I've heard the skiing. In, in oh, the Iran. skiing is good, yes. Dizin and Shemshak. 
perfect. Those this are the is awesome. two, uh, two um, resorts. I'll be reaching out to you once that, once that goes through. Open, open this year. All right, man. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Amid. Be sure to give him a follow on social media and keep an eye out for Houston Dynamo and their upcoming MLS season. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.